Welcome to Behind the Bob, Diary of a Comms Director with me, Carrie Ann Wade. This podcast is all about developing communications leaders of the future and supporting you to grow and thrive in your comms career. You'll hear from me about my experiences and insights, and there might even be a special guest or two popping up. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Behind the Bob, Diary of a Comms Director. And I'm really de- delighted, as I'm sure you will be, that this is one of those episodes where I have a very special guest with me. So I'm going to be having a conversation today with Lewis. Lewis is here with me. So welcome, Lewis. Would you like to introduce yourselves to the listeners? Thanks, Carrie Ann, and thank you for having me. Yes, uh, I'm Lewis. I am a public sector communicator. Um, I'm currently working within the NHS as a senior comms officer um, across the Pleasant Organ Donation Service in the UK. Excellent. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because we've never actually met. I'm excited to find out more about your career so far and your aspirations for the future and to have this conversation. So thank you so much um, for taking part in the podcast. Because it's new to me as well as to the listeners, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your career as a communications professional so far, Lewis? Sure, no problem. So uh, if I go back to the start, um, I actually came into the comms world. I took the academic route, which is, I think, in the grand scheme of my experience so far, it's something which is slightly out of the ordinary. I actually entered the world of comms via a master's degree, which I took in PR and comms management when I was in university at Cardiff. I essentially completed my undergraduate degree where I studied modern languages and I realized that I wanted to broaden my skill set. And when I came across the program at Cardiff, I just saw that I potentially may have some transferable skills that I could apply to initially the the master's course itself, but hopefully a job or career in comms after finishing that. I guess I just went with it and I hoped for the best. And before too long, I really was encouraged by the fact that I seemed to have a real interest in comms and PR and everything that kind of goes with that. And it's such a broad kind of industry and it can actually appear in lots of different spaces and lots of different worlds. And I think that's what really chimed with me. It was how relevant our work in PR and comms is to businesses, entities, organizations across the globe, and how crucial we are in telling the stories behind those brands and entities. And that was really how I got into it. And since then I've gone on to hold various roles predominantly, if not exclusively, really in the public sector, including in the NHS in Wales, working in local government, and as I say, now working in senior comms for NHS Budden Transplant, which is a public body, which is funded by the UK government, and they're responsible for blood donation in England and organ donation across the UK. Brilliant. And oh, so much of what you've said has resonated with me there, but very interesting that you've noticed that's not necessarily a traditional route into communications as a career so um firstly congratulations on on your academic qualifications um thank you and I love the fact that you talked about transferable skills because I think that's something that communications professionals have in abundance as well as common sense I would probably say there but the variety of opportunity I think you get in communications as a profession is something that that is a very attractive thing so it's really nice that you've highlighted that And you've mentioned that the public sector has been a space where you've mostly actually worked as a comms professional. What's attracted you to the public sector specifically over any other sector you could have chosen? 
if I'm being honest, Carrie-Anne, initially... <laughs> and please be honest. <laughs> I feel like I must, because some of my friends could be listening to this and <laughs> And they'll go, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, the public sector route was not really on my radar at all when I initially came into Cobham's via uh, studies. As I say, I was studying my, for my master's degree and through, through this route, I was learning about various different kind of case studies and examples of all sorts of areas of comms, things such as crisis comms, brands that told their stories really well. And for the most part, most, if not all of the examples that I came across and that I was referencing and that were really sparking my imagination and my drive to want to pursue this as a career were from some of these global entities. I won't name them just in case they, they want any royalties, <laughs> but some of our global sports brands, global food brands. If I'm honest, probably one or two kind of notable governments or regimes of the day at the time and how they were managing things. My, and, and based on this, my kind of, my sights were set on in an ideal world, I guess a career within one of these kind of global brands. But as I was at the time, and I still am based in Cardiff in South Wales, the opportunities to work for a global brand are few and far between. I rested my sights on perhaps working for a local agency and maybe uh, trying to find a grad uh, job in an agency either here in Cardiff or further afield somewhere in the UK. And essentially I had a few knockbacks just due to how competitive it was. And also that this is also a very lucrative environment. I think that the one thing that I, being honest, I have to shine a light on is that when you work in an agency environment that you do have the opportunity to work on a broad range of different kinds of briefs, clients, and have a real feel for lots of different things. However, I reached a turning point when I came across a really good opportunity, which certainly changed the course of my career. And that was the GCS, the government communication service. They offer an internship scheme. Yeah. And at the time that was targeted at people who were from underrepresented groups in government and communications. And I believe that scheme is still live today. And I would certainly recommend it to anyone who's perhaps at that stage of entry level in their career, who's looking for a bit of a kind of a, a booster if, if this applies to them. And that really opened my eyes to the impact that public sector communications can have. I was, funny enough, I was actually placed at NHS Blood and Transplant for the summer holidays whilst I was doing my master's. So that was my introduction to yeah. the organization where I work now and I've gone full circle <laughs> over, over the last few years. But as I say, it really, seeing the impact that public information campaigns and obviously the role that comms, PR, marketing folk play behind the scenes to make those campaigns come to life. That really opened my eyes to much of the information and media that I probably have consumed my whole life on a passive basis, but never really understood where that came from or who was behind some of those campaigns. The one that sticks in my mind is as a child, probably showing my age now, which I'm not trying <laughs> to. It's the think, the think campaign with regards to slowing down and, and drink driving and the hedgehog campaign. I, you know, I think that's something that people of my sort of age or many people will probably remember. Yeah. And yeah, I never would have known until I delved into the world of comms, if I'm honest, like actually, you know, how that come, how that comes about and the kind of people that work on those things. Right? I would never have really known that there were people perhaps in my local council or even in government, if I'm honest, that were working so tirelessly behind the scenes in communications. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea of, of being able to have impact as something which really drew you and then actually having your own experiences of remembering the impact of some of those campaigns and then being able to work in it. Yeah, sounds like you're very passionate about that. Thank you for sharing. 
you talked a little bit earlier about backs early on in your career, which all of us, I'm sure, have faced and will still continue to face because we work in quite a competitive field and competitive market. But I wondered if you felt like there has been anything that has been a barrier to your career to date in terms of progress or how you feel about your career, Lewis? Yes, certainly, Carrie. I think there are, I've certainly faced barriers in coming into the world of comms and naturally, as I've touched on already, certainly those entry-level positions at the time when I was trying to come through, they were, they existed. They obviously existed and they were there, but due to competition and perhaps there not being enough of those positions offered more broadly across the industry and not perhaps just the odds, the odd agency here and there, that made it very difficult to get my foot on the ladder. So I think on the first instance, just a lack of entry level positions and following on from that at the time that I was coming through, uh, which is around 2018, just to kind of put a timestamp on it, there were certainly entry level positions, whether they be graduate jobs, whether they be work placements or internships or even work experience. But however, on that last point, the thing that always stood out to me for the most part across all of these opportunities, if I'm honest, is that they were either very poorly paid or for the most part, not paid at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that in terms of, uh, being able to make sure that we're providing equitable access to the comms and PR industry. So I have seen lots of really prominent individuals, um, and organizations actually acknowledge that. And I think that's hopefully now becoming a thing of the past. People are recognizing that in order for someone to get onto the ladder, that despite them wanting to perhaps follow a particular career path, that they still might need to pay their bills or that they still need to live. And I don't think that people should have to make sacrifices Mm. to be able to do that. So it's really positive now to see that many organizations are offering these kinds of opportunities. I started to realize that they either need to pay a bit more fairly or even pay in the first instance. That was a barrier which I faced. And I think coupled with that at the time, myself being someone of uh, Afro-Caribbean heritage, a black man in the United Kingdom. However, at the time where I was coming through, as I say, that wasn't something which is really at the top of the agenda. And I think that was potentially a barrier for me. And I, I can certainly say that it would have been a barrier for lots of other people as well, mm. in terms of being able to, again, provide equitable access to the industry and be able to just get a foot on the ladder to be able to then go off and, you know, be able to prove yourself and work hard and receive all the um, accolades that, you know, that, that you should receive based on your performance. And I think that it's really important for that momentum and impetus behind diversifying our industry to be something that's maintained and that hopefully that isn't a, a flash um, in the pan fought following the events of Black Lives Matter and George Floyd back in 2020. Obviously now we're coming up, we've just passed three years on since those events and I'm really hopeful that we can continue on a journey of doing that. I really want to give a shout out to lots of the people that are working really hard in that space to do that and to provide platform or opportunities for people from underrepresented groups. First of all, I wanted to mention Sarah and Stephen Waddington. Um, you may be aware, Carrie Ann, that Stephen and Sarah launched a couple of years ago now. I think it's coming into their, it'll be their, the end of their second year, actually, their approaching of their socially mobile program. Yeah. And I was very fortunate to be part of the first cohort of that back in 2022 last year. And I joined, I think it was myself and maybe 20 others joined as their first cohorts where we were able to receive a certificate of leadership communication, um, which was 
a fantastic opportunity to learn from practitioners from across the PR and comm space. Um, lots of different, really interesting modules that we're going to certainly help aid our progression and provide us with the relevant skills to be able to step up into more senior roles. And as I say that in terms of the free opportunities that were offered as part of that, that was targeted at people who were from underrepresented groups. And I was very pleased and grateful to receive a free place on this program. And it certainly helped my kind of career progression so far, but also addressed probably the last barrier that I would say that I have faced and continue to face, which is my imposter syndrome. Being able to overcome that is certainly a challenge. Important to acknowledge those barriers that I've mentioned. I'm sure that some of them may resonate with uh, some of the other listeners here, but I also wanted to mention, which I touched on at the start is a sort of a perception of what a traditional route looks like coming into the comms industry. However, um, the point that I'd like to make from my perspective, and I certainly know many of my other colleagues from when I did my master's degree who've gone on to do really good things in comms is that earlier on in life, perhaps when you're at school or even university, unless you go and study those subjects, it's not actually a career path that is often talked about mm -hmm. enough, in my opinion. And I certainly wouldn't have chosen this is a career option for myself, not because it's not a lucrative uh, career option. I very much know and believe that it is, and I'm always an advocate for that. But as I say, there wasn't really anyone telling me that, oh, this is something that you could do because perhaps you, you're really good with words or you're good at English or you're a good just communicator at, at face value. I have experienced perhaps from other practitioners along the way, just a bit of a mixed reaction to the fact that, oh, I'm someone who's a, a young person coming into the industry already with that level of qualification, but certainly needing to get experience to prop mm. that up. And I think that started to even out a bit now as I've got a few years experience behind me, but certainly in the first instance, I think that was a barrier holding me back that I had this qualification or I was studying towards this qualification. I was also then trying to get my foot on the ladder and I had a challenge there. I'm just thankful to all of those really that were able to give me my first kind of comms roles or comms experiences in the early days and effectively just take a bit of a punt on me to be able to bring to the table what I can do and what I am capable of in a practical sense. And I think that that's one thing that I would like to say to in potential employers or people who hold that, that position of influence where they could potentially give someone their break, so to speak, is it, it really does pay off so much if you are able to take a chance on somebody who, you know, is self-presenting, they've committed perhaps to, as I say, I committed to a year of intense study for my master's. There'll be undergraduates who perhaps have gone and studied relevant subjects or PR and comms itself for a number of years. I think that level of commitment shouldn't be underestimated or sniffed at and that, um, there is real value in having people in the workplace who've got a diverse experience, but also a, a diverse, uh, set of different journeys that they've taken into the industry, if that makes any sense. It does make lots of sense. And uh, I appreciate I sit here having this conversation from a position of privilege myself. So I really appreciate your honesty about that and the fact that you are giving us advice as a profession about the things that we can do to try and make it easier for people to to step into this space and gain that experience. The things you've said about opportunities not even being paid feels just astonishing to me that we would expect people who bring so much value and skill to do that for free and not recognise what they're bringing into the profession. Yeah, it makes me feel quite upset. So I'm glad that you've seen a shift in some of that and that's something that we want to sustain and, and continue doing. So 
Yeah, thank you so much um, for sharing quite honestly, actually, what your experience has been like so far in those early parts of your career, because I think that will be really valuable to people who are listening. You've touched already on the how a little bit and some of that advice that you've already given and some of that insight. How do you think and who do you think? And you've mentioned the Waddingtons and their socially mobile program. And, and there are people really proactively doing very positive stuff in this space. But I guess, you know, who and how do you think can help reduce some of the types of barriers that you have talked about um, experiencing so that it's better for other people uh, entering the profession? Yeah, I think... From a broad perspective, organizations really must continue, especially those that you know, have definitely done the work and are providing these entry-level positions, that they must continue if they are able to offer, if they can, more entry-level positions. And also on top of that, if they are going to offer work experience where possible, offer some kind of remuneration, even if you're an organization that perhaps isn't able to pay by the hour in terms of work experience. Be sure to remunerate people for their travel costs. I, I recall being a graduate and thinking, oh, maybe I should be looking to London for work experience opportunities and seeing that there were all these kind of, you know, some not necessarily massive names, but credible names in the industry at the time who were offering free work experience. But I was like, okay, so I've got to get from Cardiff to London mm -hmm. now. And then I've got to find somewhere to stay and I've got to probably hop on the tube to get back and forth to this this employer every day and it just ruled it out yeah and i think that obviously in, in the first instance that was a shame for me and it would be a shame for other people in that situation but it's also a shame for those employers because they're also limiting their i guess their they're, they're limiting people who are from a certain background in terms of socio socioeconomic status in terms of people that can actually afford to say you know what i'm just going to take that on the head i can cover my travel costs and i can I perhaps am able to find a, a week or two in London in terms of accommodation for myself. When some of these employers have started to have those conversations about wanting to like diversity and diversify the industry and make it more equitable, I think that it's okay to have those uncomfortable conversations with themselves initially and look at where they could be doing a lot of work behind the scenes, if that makes any sense. But yeah. I, I think for me, going through that, it, it really highlighted some of those issues, but actually it's a bit of a no brainer really that if you're going to offer unpaid work experience in a city such as London, where the cost of living is exceptionally high, that okay. yeah, it's going to, it's really going to limit the, the people that you have there. So as I say, certainly continuing to offer entry level positions, I think across the public sector, I'd like to see more of that because I think that the public sector, again, that's probably one of the things that. I wouldn't say that attracted me because I didn't know until I was here, but it certainly kept me here is just the, the relative job security and, and salary that you can achieve when working in, in the public sector and the opportunity to really make a stamp on an organization and have a stamp on real, real life people, residents, citizens, patients, Im improving the lives of people just like you. And that, I think that's something that should really be recognized. I think that. The public sector being able to almost levy itself a bit more as an attractive employer for communications professionals. And I think that there's a lot more that could be done in the public sector, whether it be through apprenticeships or more internships or work experience opportunities to really get more young people or people of all ages, if I'm honest, are on board with what, with what is a really 
credible and really lucrative career option and career avenue with regard to public sector communications. Some really good advice for employers there to really think how they're making the profession accessible to people. And if you're going to offer unpaid work experience, could you do something around accommodation, for example, all that kind of stuff, I think is, is definitely really important for us to consider because people that are joining us in the professional work experience are adding real value and doing really important work while they're with us. So actually to expect to get that for nothing um, it really doesn't feel like the right thing. So I'm glad you've highlighted that. And as you say, it's a, a conversation that employers can have with themselves before they get into that space where they are then um, offering those opportunities for people. And just to add on to that as well, Carrie, and I think that I, I definitely want to finish off by saying on the, the diversification point in terms of diversifying um, our industry that I mentioned it in response to the previous question, but just to reiterate that commitment towards diversifying the PR and comms industry and making it more equitable, seeing more people from underrepresented come forward. That comes part and parcel there. And I think that a continued commitment and being bold about that is really crucial. And that I guess the end goal really, from my perspective, and I, I hear this from many other colleagues that I speak to, either those from underrepresented groups too, or those who are working as allies to really address that. But the end goal really is that one day we shouldn't need to have schemes or programs that are able to give people from underrepresented groups a voice or a platform, because hopefully we'll get to a point one day where they are there very much so, and they are represented in, in our industry. I think it's important to recognize that's a journey and that the work still needs to be done. And that despite maybe the optics in the media and various organizations, perhaps turning down kind of the dial on some of this rhetoric around equality, equity, diversity, and inclusion, that it's still an issue that needs to be addressed. And you're only going to benefit from addressing that issue and bring in more kind of diversification of background, identity, but also thought to the table, particularly in a creative industry, which is communication. I think it's crucial to have that diversity of thought and naturally that will come from people who are com coming from different areas of the country, different backgrounds and different walks of life. Do you know what, Liz, that's such a powerful aspiration and goal for us all, isn't it? To actually stop having these conversations about how we make our profession more diverse because we don't need to have them anymore because it is diverse. So I love that. I think that's something that all of us should grab onto and take forward as, as our goal for the future. That's really powerful, actually. That's really hit me in terms of, of the way you said and absolutely couldn't be more in agreement that we don't want to keep happening having these conversations about how we become a more diverse profession we need to take action to be a more diverse profession and then those conversations hopefully at some point in the future it needs to happen in that way so thank you so much I think that's a really really powerful message for us all we have talked a bit about the barriers and obviously barriers challenges can be perceived as being in a bit more of a negative space in terms of problems to be solved, partly because I'm really interested and I don't know you and partly because I'm sure you've got lots to share. I'm really intrigued to know what some of the highlights of your public sector comms career have been so far, Lewis. Let's talk about some of the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Carrie-Anne. And you know, I've been fortunate in my career, there have been some really positive. There's been certainly a lot more positive than negatives. And I've had the experience to work across some really impactful organizations and deal with issues of the day. And uh, I think a standout for me is probably earlier on in my career, whilst I was working in local government, I was able to help communicate the climate and ecological emergencies of the local authority I was working for at the time. 
and they were the first local authority to declare a climate and ecological emergency in the UK. So that was a real seismic moment for the organization at the time. And I played a real pivotal role in to manage the media and PR around that, but also some of the wider campaign activity. And as I mentioned, in terms of issues of the day, climate change and responding to that is something which certainly affects us today, but if we don't act quickly, will affect us in, in the days, months and years to come. I was very proud of being able to work on that. And as part of that, that kind of wider campaign activity, I helped to launch a, on an online resource, which effectively was a tool to help businesses, residents, and communities take individual and group action to respond to climate change and things that they could do in their day-to-day life to be more sustainable, be more green. And that was something which still is maintained to this day. I actually had a quick look at it before I joined the podcast and it's really positive to see that people are still from across the city choosing to share their stories in terms of what they do to promote a more of a positive, sustainable lifestyle for themselves, but also encouraging others to do the same. I think that's a real, a real important part of any kind of communications campaign where we're encouraging people to take action, that we need to be able to have real life voices behind some of those actions that we want people to take. And I feel that we, we struck a, we struck a chord really well with this one. And I think that the real thing that I've enjoyed at different points of my career behind communications is some of that behavioral insight behind it. And I have to give a shout out to my colleague and friend, Leanne Hughes. He was also on the socially mobile program because I've seen some really incredible work that she's done where it is always very much focused on behavioral insights. And it's actually spurred me on in my thinking at various different times in, in my career to make sure that I am incorporating that into the planning of my campaign. But in terms of other moments of success and positives, I'm really proud of where I am currently in my role at NHS Blood and Transplant. It's been a real pleasure of mine as a senior communications officer, but working in external affairs and public affairs. So working with elected politicians, different stakeholder groups from outside of the organization. So really amplify our calls to action for more blood organ donors, and in particular, trying to diversify our organ and blood donor bases. So trying to attract more people from black and Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds to to become donors. That's been really, really important work and I'm really proud to be able to amplify those calls to action in some of the most influential spaces in the country. One kind of takeaway for me is at the end of last year, being able to hold a parliamentary reception in the House of Parliament during Black History Month to try and promote Black blood donation and encourage more Black blood donors to come forward and register and actually give blood. Because I'm not sure if you're aware, Carrie-Anne, but there's a condition which is called sickle cell disease, which predominantly affects people from the black communities across the United Kingdom. And some of those people within who, who are suffering from sickle cell disease will need multiple blood transfusions over a very short space of time in order to maintain their general health and well-being. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really important for, for the work that I do to be able to make sure that we're reaching those really influential voices that can hopefully echo our calls to action and drive forward change. Are you a communications professional who would like to feel more confident in your career choices? Perhaps you'd like to be more intentional in the way you approach your work life. Our Cats Kajamas Thrive Programme is a 12-week structured online programme that supports communications professionals to grow and thrive. 
It's a safe space for discussion, action and accountability, all with the aim of helping you to thrive as a communicator and as a leader. The next Thrive programme starts on the 1st of September and if you'd like to find out more or reserve your place on the programme, visit the website, catch up with us on the socials or drop us a line. But I wanted to finish on actually acknowledging outside of the workplace how much I've been able to benefit as a person, but also as a comm professional in networking. And you'll know, as we all know, (laughs) over the last couple of years, COVID has really put uh, a dent in that in-person engagement. Although it seems that we're we're getting back to a place where it is now more a thing, which is great news. But certainly during those years of the pandemic, I certainly was feeling very isolated as a comms professional in terms of wanting to raise my profile and meet other like-minded people, not only within my own team, but also from other organizations and other kind of sectors working in comms. And, and the one thing which really helped me with that was leaning into things such as Twitter. And it was via Twitter that I initially came across the comms hero okay. entity and a shout out to Asif Chowdhury there as he's obviously the man behind that. And over the past, I think maybe 12 or 13 years, he's really been able to drive that forward. And he said himself on one of his podcasts that he really was able to hone in and was really shocked and surprised at how much I was able to offer people during those years in the pandemic and actually see a shift in, in terms of his brand and entity and how much it was able to offer the comms community in terms of engagement and a safe space to be able to, um, you know, to communicate with each other. I certainly have, I think for the most part, actually outside of my day-to-day jobs of what I'd like to call a network of friends and colleagues, 100% remotely so far. And I, I really appreciated ha- having those spaces to be able to just hear from other colleagues and celebrate their successes, celebrate my successes, but also acknowledge some of the real challenges, mm-hmm. certainly the public sector communicators were facing during the pandemic, which were obviously unprecedented as we were effectively working behind the scenes in the organizations that were at the forefront of trying to respond to the problems that COVID-19 posed on us all. And in coupled with that, I think. It's also worth giving a nod to platforms such as Guild. Guild is a platform, which is a, it's an app that you can download. You can also log onto it online. It's a community in itself where you can create various different sub-communities. And I've certainly joined various different ones. There's one for Comtio, for example, that I was part of a community on there and I still am as part of the socially mobile program that I did. There's various different spaces can offer that kind of a sense of unity and togetherness um, in the comms world. And I think that it's really valuable to have those spaces online that um, have actually for myself led to uh, me, you know, looking to do more things in person. So uh, I recently signed up for uh, comms camp Scotland, which I think is in, uh, late October. And that will be the first time that um, I've met many of the colleagues that I've engaged with online over the past couple of years, um, in person. So, um, I'm really looking forward to that. But as I say, you know, that, um, it, it takes you out of your initial kind of echo chamber and bubble and be able to, um, meet a wide range of people. If you're able to engage in some of these yeah. spaces, I really recommend it. And I think that's back to one of the points you made earlier about that diversity of, of thought as well, isn't it? That actually by having these networks, not only do you get that support, you get, and I love that you talked about celebrating successes because I think often as comms professionals, we celebrate everybody else's and we're sometimes a bit shy or a bit awkward about celebrating our own, but it is really important to recognise the good things, but also those online communities and 
I definitely I'm going to echo your shout out to Asif and, and the comms hero crew um, are really important in terms of building those connections and networks for support and sharing ideas and getting different thoughts and voices into some of your own thinking as a comms professional. I think that's been yeah really insightful in terms of things that have supported you. But I've also loved hearing about all of your highlights. And there's definitely a theme coming across for me about impact being really important for you as a comms professional and that ability for you to have that positive impact and help to create change really shines through as something that you're very passionate about Lewis so thank you so much for sharing and I know earlier on in the conversation you mentioned imposter syndrome and I I hope the opportunity for you to reflect on some of the things that you've achieved through your career will help you to realise that everything that you're doing you've worked hard for and you've earned and that you should have that confidence and self-belief because you've got some really successful campaigns behind you that you've worked on and I'm sure more to come in the future so thank you so much um, for sharing those thank you carry on thank you you're very welcome so we've heard a bit about some of the highlights of of your public sector comms career to date and I'm sure there are many more and thank you so much for sharing them because I think it's shone a light on the different things that you can get involved in in a career in public sector comms. So why would you say to other comms professionals who've perhaps not considered public sector as a a route for them in their career, why would you encourage them to to join us over here in the public sector? I'd encourage any comms professional, whether they're at the start of their career or perhaps progressing into a few years experience or even those who are very much into the career with a wealth of experience consider the public sector as a credible, a, cre- a credible option in terms of a, a comms career. And I say that because of the wealth of experience that you can really gain from working in the public sector. I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, you know, that I certainly look to agency life as a way to, oh, you know, look, I'm working across lots of different kind of clients and lots of different briefs and Yes, you certainly do get a breadth of experience there. However, working in a local authority or city council, for example, as I did earlier on in my career, uh, you could get the chance to work across so many different portfolio areas and support important announcements or important campaigns that are real life issues of the day. And when I use the word issue, not necessarily negative things, but positive initiatives as well. Looking at things such as housing, looking at some of the services that we all access on a day-to-day basis and how we can better communicate those and improve those. There's so many different things to get involved with. And I think that perhaps as a, particularly as a young person, I, if I'm honest, when I initially considered, oh, going to work, for example, in um, a local authority. I had a very kind of one track mind of all, it's all about, you know, the politics or the politician. And it just so happens I am interested in that kind of thing. But for those that perhaps aren't that way inclined, I would say that it's certainly a real credible option because although you will likely have engagement with those kinds of individuals, your day to day is really still about the creative thought and thinking and the strategic planning behind what's going to make, for example, a, a successful communications campaign and for those perhaps who are coming from outside of the public sector into the public sector with experience from elsewhere that experience is going to be invaluable and really valid in terms of giving another track to thoughts at the table when some of these decisions are being made you'll be able to perhaps at times encourage a bit more creativity or encourage 
different methods or tactics or ways of approaching certain challenges from a commerce perspective. It's all about perspective and recognizing that everyone's perspective is really valid and actually really valuable when you consider some of these organizations in the public sector, such as local authorities, such as NHS health boards. We're not just targeting one sector of society. We're trying to target everybody effectively at one stage, at some stage, I beg your pardon. So it's really important to ensure that our workforce and our comms teams are reflective of that because the more diverse in all aspects and all realms those teams are, the more likely we are to make sure that our message chimes with the people that we're trying to communicate with. So yeah, certainly the wealth of experience and that you can get from the, the com public sector comms industry, but also recognizing how rewarding it is, how rewarding it can be to work on some of, you know, these really important issues that will make a difference to people's lives. It's also worth mentioning the, the wealth of progression opportunities that you can have within public sector comms, within your, your comms career, but also diversifying your skill set a little bit. One thing that I take my hat off to in all of the organizations I've worked with so far in the public sector is that there's been a real hunger and commitment to learning and development. And it's only through my career so far and being in some of these organizations and teams where I've seen people have an interest in that and spur me on that I've been able to take advantage of things such as membership of the CIPR, the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. I joined, I'm sure I joined the CIPR back in August, 2020. So again, in the height of the pandemic because I was looking for uh, somewhere to really skill myself, but also meet like-minded people online at, at that time, because obviously things weren't really happening in person. And a couple of years on now, I've recently been able to receive my accredited status wow. as an accredited PR practitioner, just due to keeping up my continual professional development. Lots of that has been, you know, the wealth of kind of webinars, some of them, or lots of them pre-recorded that I can access at the click of a button in my own time, but also attending some of the live CIPR events that are held remotely. I haven't been able to go along to one in person yet, but I'd like to change that. And also taking part in lots of the other activities in the wider comms space. I mentioned comms here last year, I was actually able to take part in one of the events as a panel speaker alongside the then CIPR president, Rachel Roberts, who's recently obviously stepped down following the AGM on a panel discussion. And it's from activities like this, where you're being proactive in the comms community or in your day job that you can actually record some of these CPD, continual professional development points. That's really important as well. And I just really think that public sector communicators are really good at making sure that they keep their tool sharp and that they're not complacent. One thing that always sticks in my mind from doing the socially mobile is uh, a slogan, which I received on a postcard from them, which is, I'm probably going to get it wrong. I think it was always keep learning. It was either always keep learning or never stop learning. And that really chimed with me. And I think that we are as public sector comms are really good at challenging and stretching ourselves and spurring each other on to not only do better in our day jobs, but also do better for ourselves and make sure that we're upskilling. If you're looking for that kind of support, I could certainly recommend the public sector for that because yeah, the, from my perspective, there seems to be a real culture fostered in terms of learning and development. Uh, I Hearing you talk about public sector comms in the way that you have is making me want to start my public sector comms career all over again. <laughs> so very inspirational. So th thank you so much um, for sharing. You talked a little bit, as we have done throughout this conversation, actually, about, about 
the importance of diversity in our profession in terms of diverse thinking, in terms of the fact that particularly in the public sector, we're trying to reach out to communities that we are all actually part of. So actually having that diversity within our teams is really important to, to enable us to maximise it and deliver on that. You talked earlier about particularly what employers could do to support more diversity within the profession, but I just want to finish off the conversation, although I could talk to you um, all day, Lewis, because I'm really <laughs> enjoying it, about what you think we can do as a profession to encourage more diversity and whether there's just a practical thing that listeners could take away to encourage more diversity and support people into our profession. I really do strongly believe in making sure that comms as a profession is accessible at all points of entry. I've spoken a lot about entry-level positions. I think in the first instance, in terms of a real tangible thing that organizations or people could do who work within organizations as public sector comms professionals is to advocate for perhaps more entry-level positions, advocate for taking on someone for a couple of weeks during the summer, for example, or during some of those quiet times. I think it's, you know, it's really important to acknowledge that public sector comms professionals, we're all under lots of pressure and we all are working on things that are really important and the demands can sometimes be unprecedented. However, I think that there's real value in perhaps as you know, many comms teams will do like in terms of forward planning and trying to hopefully nail down what their kind of month, week or year is going to look like, identifying those points where potentially it might be a bit quieter, where it could be really beneficial to have one or two members of the team, have somebody come in to shadow them, whether it be a student or somebody a school leaver potentially who is considering their next steps in terms of their career. I think that those kind of opportunities and conversations about potentially having those sorts of opportunities in an organization are crucial. I think that there's lots of willing to probably want to do those kinds of things, but actually, you know, having the courage to speak up and say, you know what, it'd be really good for us as an organization, but also paying it forward to be able to offer some kind of entry-level opportunity even if it is initially, uh, you know, a week's work experience to somebody who can really walk away from that and feel like they've learned something and potentially put them on a trajectory towards something. And I am aware over the last couple of years that there's been lots of different initiatives, some of them government funded, where uh, there's the opportunity to take um, on an apprentice. That's always a credible option for um, a public sector organization mm -hmm. to take on someone entry level and really help to grow them and mold them as a as a seasoned comms professional, if we're being honest, if you give them a fair kind of crack of the whip and let them get their hands a bit dirty and really get involved in things. And I think at the point of the one thing that we should be careful of when we have these opportunities, um, is to support people after that as well. Cause I, I do understand that in certain organizations, there may not always be the capability to keep people on, so to speak, from some of these opportunities. However, where possible, I think that we should really be pushing to do that because Although those kinds of work experience, internships, et cetera, they're really helpful, important, and they've certainly benefited me and helped me go on a journey, but there are going to be people, unfortunately, they might fall off that trajectory mm. because perhaps there's not another kind of opportunity for them that they can benefit from. So retaining that talent and then really affirming that commitment of, oh, I want to diversify the industry, start perhaps with your own, your own kind of team and seeing what you can do there and what that will look like. In addition, putting the entry level aside, I think 
it's really important to recognize the transferable skills points at any stage of the career journey. I certainly saw it myself when I was working in, in comms and in, in, in lots of different organizations that I've worked in that they have like maybe what, at least one colleague that has come into the team who's moved from another side of the organization, but someone has seen in them that they've got the potential transferable skills to be able to make that journey. And I think it's okay for those people, especially to have more support and to be able to be nurtured and to be guided and perhaps mentored a little bit to make that transition and to really thrive in that kind of co public sector comms environment. So I think that's another thing is just recognizing that, that someone could come into comms having maybe five years, 10 years experience in something else, and that they're also then bringing another perspective and those transferable skills. And I think that last point I made is mentorship. You know, if you're unable to facilitate either of those last two things in your organization, that mentorship, again, at all levels, but certainly in my opinion, I know that people, lots of people talk about mentorship being helpful when you're several years into your career, but I actually, I haven't actually got um, a mentor as opposed to, with regards to comms at the moment, but I'm on the hunt for one because <laughs> I certainly do see the value of having that earlier on in your career to just give you a bit of guidance and be able to not tell you what's right or wrong, but maybe be able to just guide you into some of the more lucrative options, for example, for you in, in terms of your own personal goals and what you're trying to achieve. And I, I think that at the entry level, in terms of diversifying our industry, that's really crucial because I think that I don't have any stats or figures behind it, but I can certainly speak for myself as that I didn't really have anybody that I knew that worked in kind of comms or any relevant industry that was able to ever give me that advice at home outside of my academic studies or the people that I eventually met in the workplace. So being able to have access to somebody like that could be, could be uh, a make or break moment in terms of making an effective decision or perhaps again, you know, looking to, if there's more people there as mentors within the public sector comm space, hopefully it will be a more option for people from underrepresented groups and more people in general, because there'll be more points of access, if that makes any sense, yeah. more people to inspire people to jump on board. And one, one thing that I would like to look into more, I made a commitment to this last year, actually at comms here a week is looking at going into places like schools and potentially doing school talks. I know that there's a few different kind of platforms or organizations that facilitate this, but if you are able, especially if you're, for example, you're a local authority or something like that, you might have a more direct route to be able to go into a school and contribute to a careers talk or a careers fair. And I think that just uh, representation across the piece for public sector comms as a lucrative career option, but also going into those spaces where you can potentially influence someone to look at an organization like many of the ones that we work in as uh, a potential career option is crucial. You don't have to be the mayor or the councillor to work in a local authority. You don't have to be a doctor to work in the NHS and you, know, you don't have to be a fire person to work in the fire service. But in all these organizations, there's really talented comm professionals. And I think that through some of those things I mentioned, we, we can only do really good things in terms of diversifying and retaining that diverse talent, so to speak, by giving some of those things a go. Oh, I love it. And talking about mentoring is like music to my ears. And I absolutely agree with you. I still have mentors now and coaches, but at the very start of my career, actually seeking out some people to mentor me was really important because it was learning from their experiences that helped me to think about what I wanted to do next and, and shape some of the kind of progress of my own career. So I absolutely agree with that mentorship point completely. And I'm going to take so much away from this conversation, Lewis, not least the challenge to 
be more bold, be more brave in some of the thinking and decision making that I do around my own team and more broadly in the profession. Definitely more about taking a risk. So maybe sometimes we have to give people opportunities that wouldn't naturally maybe be there for them and take those risks on people is definitely something that I think has been really good advice from you and I've absolutely loved hearing from you and your passion completely shines through around impact and purpose and making a difference to people's lives and communities so thank you so much for sharing all of that and your dedication to and commitment to learning and progression and development yourself is something that I'm sure will really resonate and also inspire other people that have listened to the podcast so thank you so much for everything that you've shared Lewis I've really appreciated having this conversation with you today thank you Carrie and all the best to you as well thank you thank you for listening to this episode of behind the bob I'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating or a review you can also engage with me over on the socials. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at catspjs_uk. underscore UK. Catch up soon.